Welcome back to the Physio Foundations podcast for another week, the podcast where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So this is part two of a series on clinical communication that I'm doing. And today, Susanna's joining me to discuss the 10 tips that I gave you in part one. So if you haven't listened to part one, there you go, queue it up for next time or go back and listen to that one first. So Susanna, welcome to Physio Foundations again. Thank you for having me. Always good to have the wife on and um, not just the wife, but an expert in the field. We can pick your brains on um, many, many things. So let's talk about some of the points. Let's get straight into it. Let's talk about some of the points I made in part one. And what I want to do here is get your perspectives on, you know, as someone who's worked, someone who's, who's in many ways mentored me on a lot of these things. Some, a lot of these ideas are yours or they're the result of, many conversations we've had over many years um, and they're also they've, they've come from my teaching experience as well so uh, there's there's more than one place they've come from but the first thing i talked about in episode one was and it was titled the, the problem with clinical communication and i made the case that the problem with clinical communication was that it's really hard to know when you're not being understood unless you're reflective, unless you think about it and, and pay attention to that. And, and everyone thinks they're a good communicator. And even if we don't feel comfortable communicating all the time, there's always a, a feeling that we've made a clear point and we've, we may have not got our message through to everyone, but essentially we feel like we're being clear even when we're not. And I talked about the curse of knowledge where you can become very familiar with something and as a result of your familiarity with it, it becomes more difficult to remember what it was like when you didn't know it, about it. So I thought we'd bring you in on this one. Um, and, and what I'll do is go through the 10 points one by one and we'll get your perspectives on them. The first point that I made, the first tip actually, no rather than the point, the first tip I had for effective clinical communication was, number one, explain what you want to do and why you want to do it. So the, real, the point here being explanation and not taking it for granted that someone else understands what you want to do and why you want to do it. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, I'm lucky enough that I get to see, I'm at that point in my career that I see a lot of people that have tried other avenues, other clinicians and probably haven't gotten to where they wanted to and so have been referred to me by uh, you know, colleagues of mine or friends um, and other um, professionals. And <laughs> the one thing that I, I do get consistently is, you know, I, I go through, you know, at the end, you know, the treatment and the plan, et cetera. Um, but I, I like doing a lot of education um, and I'm a very visual person. So I'll often have the computer up and I'll, you know, I'll Google images and talk to an image whilst they're there. And I get a lot of people comment and say, ah, now I understand why I should be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, no one's explained it to me like that. And it's just more, you know, I probably haven't done anything different from the previous clinicians. Um, but the reason why maybe I get uh, better results is um, because I, I, at various points or multiple points, I ask the patient, you know, 
ask them, you know, do you have any questions and do you understand, um, you know, where this is going? And also I try to um, tailor my education to their particular um, uh, situation. So if they're having troubles with something, then, you know, I will pull that out. Uh, for example, I had a patient just on the weekend actually who had multiple areas um, of concern and he'd seen multiple professionals individually for each one of these concerns. And um, he was sort of at a at his wit's end because no one could help him. Um, then he saw my uh, colleague at sports medicine uh, or I work in a sports medicine clinic, saw the sports physician who referred him to me. Um, and, you know, I just went through everything and I said, okay, there's, you know, and got a really good subjective, um, had a look at his objective and then was trying to piece things together and then just letting them know what I was thinking. Um, and he just looked at me and he said, oh, that's the first time anyone's actually, you know, linked my, you know, presentations together and it makes sense to me. Um, so that's really powerful because now whatever I, you know, give them, um, they're going to be more inclined to do it because I put it to their presentation. The other thing, um, and I'm quite lucky that I uh, helped tutor on uh, the GLAD course, which if people don't know, uh, is the Good Living, um, oh no. Arthritis Denmark. With arthritis in Denmark, yeah, it, it, it's it's a really great uh, program. Uh, it's got education, uh, exercise, um, all sort of put into one. Uh, so it's really empowering the individual through education, so they can understand um, the intervention and what they can do, etc. But the, where I was going with it is one of the things that we teach on the course uh, is the teach back. Uh, method, um, and right. I don't know if listeners know what that is, but it, it's it's really a very useful and a very powerful tool uh, to use in the clinic, and it's a way to confirm if the patient understands you by using their own words. So pretty much, you give them the education, um, and then you ask them to tell you, you know, what have you you said, can you say it back to me? Mm. So, for example, if you give someone an exercise prescription, say, okay, I want you to do, let's say, 10 sit-ups three times a day. And then you look at them and say, now, what are you going to do with these sit-ups? You tell me, you know, and then get them to report back, oh, well, I'm going to do sit-ups, you know, et cetera, you know, 10 times, three times a day. Or they might say, I'm going to do sit-ups uh every three days and you go, no, no. <laughs> and it gets you to clarify mm. um, what you have said. So the other thing, and I'm sorry, we're, we're on number point number one, so I don't know how far we're no, going to get good. into it. This is good. And what we might do actually is break this into part three. So we might do whatever we can get covered today in the time we've got, and we might come back and do part three of this conversation. And there's going to be a part four and five and six, because Joe, I've already talked Joe Corbett from Monash Uni into a podcast episode, and I've got many people who want to talk about this stuff. So we'll get through what you want to focus on. Okay. It's fine. So so the other thing is, is understanding that 
a patient may not be ready to hear what you have to say. Um, and it mm. may mean that you need to uh, say what you need uh, to them multiple times. And it's the same in teaching, um, as you would know, that, you know, the important points you want to repeat multiple times so that they sort of sink in um, because no one really uh, gets it the first time. Um, That's really important. Just to sit here and reflect on that and and realise that, well, that's so the case for me when I'm learning something that I need to hear it multiple times. Of course, patients, of course, students need to be hearing it multiple times from multiple different people in multiple contexts. Mm. Mm. And again, I mean, I'm guessing I'm just adding GLAD as an example here. But again, we what we teach is, you know, sometimes what you want to do is put the education session first so that, you know, I mean, it's got a lot of uh, education on, you know, what is osteoarthritis, the anatomy, and, uh, getting the loads right for the joint, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you might want to do that first before you do the intervention. So the um, time where you're doing some uh, prescribed exercises and what that does rather than because there is no prescribed time to do the education but if you do it first it's the first time they hear it but they're not going to necessarily get everything or take mm. in everything so then you're going because they're supervised sessions you've got that opportunity that um when they're in the session you can start uh, saying some of the key points again and say oh remember when we were talking about a, B, and C, and then they go, oh, yeah, now I remember, and then they can sort of reflect. Um, you know, there's been so many times where uh, someone has come in and I've taken these GLAD, GLAD sessions, these exercise sessions before, and they've come in, you know, and, and their knee has flared up and, you know, they have uh, already done a few sessions and they say, oh, look, I, I wasn't sure whether I should come in because the knee's, you know, not feeling that good. And say, oh, well, remember what we talked about with flare-ups, you know, it doesn't mean that you don't do exercises or you don't do the intervention. We just modify it. Now, oh, yeah. So they, you know, because they're still in that, um, you know, previous mode where, you know, if their knee did swell up, they'd, you know, rest it and wait for it to settle down before they started again. And, you know, you get that boom, bust, boom, bust. Mm. Um, and again, you know, when you're talking about it to them, about the boom bust, they're sort of, oh, yeah, that's not me. But then when you have that opportunity where they have done it uh, and they come in and, you know, oh, remember when we talked about, ah, you know, so it just gives them, just remember that whatever you say. And that's the other thing is you have so many, and I think you've you've talked about it on your podcast before, where you've had, you know, patients have come from other professionals and they, you know, they say, you know, well, what have you tried in the past? And they'll say, oh, I've tried this. And and it doesn't seem quite right. Like it, it doesn't sort of add up the, let's say, the uh, physio just said massage was the only way to fix, I don't know, an, an ankle sprain. Mm, I and, think I talked about this, this in one of the first episodes with Pete Maliaris and, and we made the point, you weren't there and you really don't know what went on, but... Sure. We'll listen openly. Mm. They, yeah, sure. They did. They spent 45 minutes with you and did massage. Okay. Mm. Nothing else. No other assessment. I don't know. I'll give my colleagues some more credit than that, but go on. I'll, I'll listen. Yeah, exactly. And so, 
again, um, that's why it's important to explain what you want to do and why you want to do it. Mm. So that so that they get that meaning from it. So that um, okay, you're doing massage now, and then you know whilst you're doing, and that's the other thing is when I if I do hands on, I don't often just do hands on and that's it. When I do hands on, I find that's the perfect opportunity to do some education, um, and also you know further su- the subjective um, in terms of trying to figure out the context uh, of. Uh, this person's situation. Uh, for example, I had someone with their, you know, it was a shoulder and we, we talked about, you know, all the aggravating easing. We did a nice subjective, um, did, you know, then I, I was there doing my treatment after the objective and he just sort of, you know, I think I must have said something about, you know, it does, you know, when you have pain for a long time, there is an element of, you know, depression that can come with it um, because we're not used to having uh, pain for so long and it can really wear you down. He goes, yes, it really wears me down because I can't bowl to my son, you know, cricket because the son plays cricket, which is, you know, a sport. I don't know Mm. if everyone knows it, but um, there is an action where, you know, there's there's a bowler who throws the ball. Well, obviously, no, we... You throw it with a straight arm. <laughs> Trying to talk to the international audience here. So <laughs> cricket bowling with a straight elbow and at really at high speeds, a lot of force through the back, the back and the shoulder. Yep. And that's, and you know, and that's when I said, okay, well, that's your goal. And he said, what do you mean? I said, all right, we've got to, we'll assess how we're progressing with your rehab with how you can bowl to, to your son. And within uh, two weeks, he was bowling um, relatively pain-free uh, to his son. So not only did he have that goal, but he knew that's where he was aiming. So the rehab exercises um, gave more meaning uh, to why he wanted to do them. Um, and I think that helps. But let's go on to point two. Well, I mean, you've given us so much there to think about. So as a bit of a summary, so the points we're talking about here were actually number one and number 10. So number one was explain what you want to do and why you want to do it. And number 10, which you touched on, was linking to the person's condition, actually linking all the technical stuff we do and all the communication. Make sure you're linking it back to that person and their goals you mentioned. And you talked about um, the value of repeating information and how it does take time to sink in and repeating it in different contexts. And then the, the trick of getting people to repeat back to you to summarize. And then you went a little bit deeper into the, you know, what you might do in some of that dead time. Perhaps you're doing a, what might be considered a low value treatment. If we're writing it down and looking at literature, some soft tissue therapy or something, making that high value by repeat, you know, reflecting on the person's, you know, motives, motives and, um, you know, their, perhaps their, their mental health or any other contextual factors, and you know, and then you in that example of the guy who was a, who wanted to bowl with his son, talking about exploring their goals further. So you made quite a lot out of two points. It was very good, and we've only got a few minutes left before you've got to go to your next meeting. Point number two was that I made last week in the last episode. Or tip number two was no jargon. And jargon is technical terms and industry-specific um, uh, terminology and things that, that make sense to you and probably don't make sense to someone else. And they feel good to say because you feel smart and they don't feel good to listen to. Um, 
your perspectives on jargon. I mean, can you explain the concept to a five-year-old where you not really can't use jargon? That was my example from last week. Um, when can jargon be a problem? Um, how do you get around it or avoid dropping jargon on people? What do you do in the clinic? Well, often I ask them, you know, a lot of people, um, a good one, a good example is, oh, I've been working out on my core because I know that that's important for my low back pain. And you just go, okay, well, what is your core? Oh, it's it's muscles, muscles. Oh, okay, can you tell me which ones? I have no idea. I just sort of sit there and go, uh, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, you know, then I talk about it. Um, and, you know, I, I like to, you know, talk about the deeper unit and look, I might be old school looking at transverse abdominus, pelvic floor, diaphragm and multifidus, but um, I do use uh, those um, examples and, and talk about it. And I talk about, you know, you've, you've got that that global unit that helps you move and then you've got the inner unit that helps with that stability so that, you know, you can move on something that's stable, gets you stronger. Um, and it's, you know, a, a classic example is, you know, the ones that are strong in that inner unit, if you watch, you know, football, for example, and someone gets tackled, if they're not strong, they tend to get tackled and they just fall to a heap uh, down on the ground. Um, and the really good players with the really nice core, you know, they get tackled and they almost sort of just swing their hips and the, the player that's tackling sort of goes flying um, <laughs> because, you know, they can control it. Um, and it's a, a really nice example of, you know, getting their understanding of what it is. Um, there, Again, I had a, a young girl from the weekend um, she's been having problems uh, in her sport and she's been given all these core exercises which are all lying down and, you know, the core is what you need and, you know, there you go and that will fix it. And she didn't really know what the core was <laughs> so we sort of talked about it and, that yes, she was doing the right exercises but it was interesting because in her sport, uh, she has to do a lot of running. And I said, okay, can can we have a look at your running? And I had her running and um, her father was with her. And I sort of went, oh, okay, well, I can see your problem. And um, just like, oh, what, what what's my problem? And I, and I looked at the dad and I said, look, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to give it to your daughter straight. You're running like a model. Um a model on a runway where, you know, they have that excessive pelvic, <laughs> uh, you know, movement, et cetera. So we know that you're, even though you're doing these exercises, these core exercises, um, you're actually, you know, not using them for when you need them uh, for your sport. So, you know. There's getting- an art of connecting with someone with maybe even the politically incorrect or, or something that someone else wouldn't get away with and just knowing how to to connect with them how did that end up was it taken badly or well um the father said you're the physio for us because we like someone that tells us straight um and the daughter was laughing and said i understand what you're saying and it's you know it's true and um and then we worked on it 
And again, she felt the difference. She felt how much more powerful she was by focusing on, you know, the, the exercises she was doing. Um, and then she was able uh, to, you know, take that feedback um, without the jargon. So rather than me saying, oh, there's a lot of pelvic t- uh, uh, movement there. You've got a lot of lateral sway and all this other stuff. And there's internal rotation here and external rotation here. I just said, oh, you know, you're just running like a model. Um, I mean, I had a one of my friends from uni. I remember she was saying again, a physio, and she said, you know, don't you hate it when they keep asking you lots and lots of questions? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, oh, I just get sick of it. And so I just put as much jargon as I can at them (laughs) to stop them asking questions so I could just keep on time. And I thought, hmm. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I mean, so what you've done there with the jargon is you've sort of flipped what I was saying last week on its head. I I was talking about that, that jargon coming from you as a clinician and not being aware of, that it's not being understood or that there's probably more plain language ways to communicate things. And you're right. And jargon can come from Dr. Google, from the community, from patients themselves. And so what you did there in a, in a quite um, patient-centred or person-centred way was just ch- sort of challenging them on, do you know what that means? And then you, you mentioned being old school and you mentioned some um, some concepts from Multifidus and TA and things that, you know, on their own are going to come across as um, being old hat. And then you, what you actually did is took the patient's existing knowledge there and their understanding, their con- conceptual framework about what's going on, and then presented what they do in their running with what they already understand already. And then you didn't just get them to lie down there and do some, some exercises lying down. When they're a runner, you got them up and got them running. Um, mm. I just want to make the point that a lot of that, the intervention you eventually did and the exercises the person does and is compliant with, to use that word I don't like, actually came through solid clinical communication and sometimes knowing where the edge is and knowing where you can be, you know, politically incorrect or maybe maybe a better way to put that is where, you know, knowing where the edge when you can play and maybe have a bit of fun and have some humour as well without overstepping the line. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, even, you know, talking about someone that, you know, they're, they're walking and their issue is that their leg goes into, a, you know, adduction or, you know, they got that Trendelenburg and they're dropping and, uh, you know, trying to tell them that. Like, I, I, again, I had a, a, a nice lady on, on the weekend and I just said to her, I said, oh, do you like walking on a tightrope? And she said, what, what, do you, what do you mean? <laughs> I said, because that leg that keeps coming in, you know, like as if you're trying to go on a, on a rope. And she's like, oh, I've never noticed that before, you know. <laughs> and again, you know, I could have said, oh, you know, your leg's falling into adduction and all that, that sort of stuff. Um, and also the other thing where jargon is a big one is when, you know, people come in with their MRIs or X-rays or whatever investigations they have, and they often have a report and they have no idea what this report means and also which bits of the report are relevant. Mm. So being able to communicate what, you know, like translate the results because it's if they've brought it in, it's meaningful for them. So don't... I think that there's been this big issue of, you know, you've got to marry up 
the the results with the clinical findings and they often don't um you know relate to each other so sometimes you know we don't um look at the report and i think what's unfortunately been happening is people bring in a report and the physio or clinician will just go oh yeah we don't need to look at that you know and and just put it off to the side but if if someone's brought their report in brought in their mris you know it's really powerful if you then acknowledge it because it's meaningful for them and to go through it and i will often then get like a model of a knee model of a shoulder and I will actually point out on the model, you know, you know, if they've got medial compartment, whatever, you know, I'll show where the medial compartment is. You know, I'll show where the labrum is. I'll show, you know. To talk through that jargon that's written in the radiology report one by one and actually say this is what this is. So you're acknowledging it. Mm, exactly. And it, and it makes a huge difference for them. But also then you're able to talk about the the normal findings you know so some degenerative changes are oh, okay Th that's like you know when we get older we get gray hair are we going to be worried yeah, about the gray hair no so there's some changes that are normal with the aging process um and you know one of the the most powerful uh, examples I had of that was uh, one of my colleagues, he had a low back pain patient who came in and was just crippled, like just bent over, shuffling in, lots and lots of pain, um, you know, almost in tears. And he's just said, oh, you know, what's what's going on? Like, And he's looking at the report. There wasn't a lot, um, you know, a lot of findings on there. And the GP just sent... Um, this fellow over, and he said, "Oh, oh my my spine, it's disintegrating." I said, "What what do you mean? It's it's written on the report, you know. I've I've got disintegrating spine, and it's like, no, no, no. You've got degenerative changes, <laughs> not disintegrating, <laughs> you know." And so, you can forgive people for for coming to that conclusion. Mm, You've got twenty years of experience, and then they've. They've been given this out of context and expected to process it. So this is such an important part of our job to help them do that. Yeah, and the, and that that clinician then spent most of his time um, just educating and bringing up um, some research. Uh, so that it wasn't just coming from him. So that's the other thing that can be really, really helpful is your guidelines um, and other research so that it's not just coming from you. Um, you can say, oh, look, this is what the recommendations by this guideline are, you know, whatever. So say uh, your osteoarthritis guidelines, there's quite, quite a few which, you know, recommend your exercise, your education, your weight management. Um, so that's why you're asking about weight management. You know, a lot of them will have recommendations on things that patients often want to know about, you know, what are those injections, you know, should I get these injections? So, um, and that's where you can go and refer to these guidelines rather than, well, I think, you know, mm, which mm. not necessarily they're going to go, okay, well, I heard from my friend and they had them and it, and it worked well, so why don't I go? You know? It's a really good point. It's not just an appeal to authority by mm. talking about literature and a guideline. What you said before is that that explains why you're talking about that. 
which is the which is the point we're talking about explain why you need to ask those things because we know for example weight management is important and it's in the guidelines this is why we're talking about it rather than just asking a whole bunch of questions because you know why you're asking them and just assuming the person understands why you're asking about weight management when you're talking about knee osteoarthritis I mean, mm. you do need to make the connection between the two things and that was a really good example of how we could do it. Um, that beeping everyone heard before was your other colleagues, your research colleagues, wondering where you are. Mm, you've got so a, better go. another meeting there. So <laughs> but, but that's good because we've got more to cover. We're going to go through more of the technical aspects of communication and sort of how they're linked together with exercise prescription and manual therapy and, and um, physical examination. We're going to talk about consent, pet topic of mine, and we're going to talk about um, talking the person through what you're doing while you're doing it and investigating with your communication, monitoring the effect of interventions, warnings and queuing, queuing and summarizing what you found. So there's plenty more to talk about, but I'm going to wind it up here. So uh, on behalf of everyone listening, I'm sure that everyone's found that really valuable. Thank you. Thank you for having me again and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. So that's it, everyone. So please start putting these ideas into action. And when you do, just let me know. Let me know how you're going. I do want to hear from you as a podcast listener. Um, please keep the emails and the messages coming that I've had. I'll, get it, I'll do some shout outs when I can and leave a comment, send me an email, like, subscribe, all those things we always ask you to do. But um, until next time, this is Luke and Susanna wishing you all the very best with your studying, professional development and lifelong learning.